You're right, there's no cure for mental health conditions, but they absolutely, with the right treatment, the right support, they absolutely can be managed and people can live very good, fulfilling, and successful lives. Mental health and addiction are largely misunderstood. We often struggle in silence, but there is hope for a better life. I'm Trevor Steinhauser, and this is Stigmatized. Today I'm with Heather Smith-Turner of NAMI Southwest Ohio, which is the National Alliance on Mental Illness. Thanks for being here. Oh, thank you for the invitation. So NAMI is a nationwide organization. Right. So NAMI, the National Alliance on Mental Illness, is the nation's largest grassroots organization and it's dedicated to building better lives for the millions of Americans who are affected by mental health conditions. How long has it been around? It began with two moms in Wisconsin whose sons had both had psychotic breaks in college. These two moms, back in the late 70s, met in the waiting room of one of the state hospitals. They felt very isolated. They felt hopeless. And they got together and they started a support group. So from one support group, back in the 70s in Wisconsin, it's now a national organization with offices in Arlington, Virginia. Also, there are 49 out of the 50 states have a state organization, and then there's over 500 local affiliates. And NAMI Southwest Ohio is one of those over 500 local affiliates. What an amazing story. I'm familiar with it, but I didn't dig in enough to, to hear that story. It's, Absolutely. That's amazing. Totally cool. So Southwest Ohio, what, what, do, you, what do you guys do as it breaks down from national to state right. to local. Right. So the national organization is involved in a lot of advocacy and lobbying on the federal level, um, such as they've joined the lawsuit against these short-term health insurance policies, which do not cover pre-existing conditions, nor do they cover any mental health care treatment or substance use disorder treatment. So that's just an example of one of the things NAMI nationally has been involved with. And then NAMI Ohio also does a lot of lobbying and advocacy uh, for policy and funding from the state of Ohio. So they were very involved in this new governor's budget that just got approved, which has increased funding for both mental health and for substance use disorder. So then on the local level, I always say we're the boots on the ground so the national organization also develops programs that are evidence-based. Uh, then they make those available to the local affiliates. So out of the 10 signature programs, NAMI Southwest Ohio is offering nine of them. And we are in the community, we're in schools, we're in businesses, and we're also here to give support, help, and hope to the families and individuals who are really affected by mental health. Conditions. Awesome. What uh, you don't have to run through all nine, all nine of <laughs> that them. That would but, be but, a bit much. But but just a quick ten thousand foot view of those programs. Yeah. So I would say they're organized around mental health awareness, education, and support. So we have support for families as well as for individuals who are actually living with a mental health condition, dealing with a mental health challenge. And those support groups are all over Southwest Ohio and different locations meet on different t 
times and dates. Um, and then we also have education. So the education is specifically for families, again, who are affected by mental health conditions, a loved one who has one. And then also there's a class for individuals that are in recovery, want to solidify that recovery, learn more, you know, be connected. So that's an eight-week course. And then in the community, we are providing mental health awareness, such as our program Ending the Silence, which is, again, a national program being done all over the country. It's designed for middle and high school students. It teaches the warning signs of mental health. It also teaches the the warning signs of suicide. And most importantly, it's been shown through an empirical study that it improves help-seeking among students, which is what we want. We want students to recognize it in themselves or a friend, and then know what to do and take action upon it. So that's one of our uh, programs that we're really happy we've, we've brought that to this region. Another program I'd love to tell you about, Absolutely. which is a dynamic program, again, in the community. It's In Our Own Voice. This is, again, a national program. And two individuals who are living well in recovery, managing their mental health condition, they go through training and they tell their story. It's what happened, what helped, what's next. So we're in places like law enforcement, uh, crisis intervention training. We are in university classes. We're in civic groups. And this is a time when people can maybe put a different face on mental health and people that are living with mental health conditions. I have an uncle who lives with paranoid schizophrenia, and I think if you met him, you would immediately realize that something is, is, is going on. But I always say that mental health conditions and mental illness looks more like you and me. And so what Inner Own Voice does, it helps people who have maybe very small interaction with mental health illness in their, in their network and their colleagues and their family, and it helps them understand that People we're working with, people we're socializing with, uh, our colleagues, family, they're living and managing well their mental health condition. And we like the fact that people hear the whole arc of a story because what happened gives an opportunity to, it's interactive so people can ask questions and what helped. So that's a chance for people to understand there is treatment, there is support, and that recovery is absolutely possible. And then what's next helps people understand, just like us, individuals living with mental health conditions have hopes and dreams, and they are fulfilling them and living full lives. So those two programs I'm really happy to get to highlight, and in the silence and in our own voice. Yeah, because you get real people, because you have professionals who do this, which is great, but having a face that people can really relate, and like you said, ask questions is just invaluable. Right. And the unique niche of NAMI is that lived experience. So when you're delivering one of our programs, whether it's our 12-week family or your support group facilitator for connection, which is for individuals living well in recovery, you are in that same journey yourself. So you are speaking with a voice of, of credibility because we love our professionals, we need our professionals, but NAMI, we are people who ourselves are, have a loved one who lives with a mental health condition or ourselves are dealing with a mental health condition. And that brings power to our message and also a lot of connection, a lot of identification, which is what we really hope for and want. Yeah. I'm 
probably a little bold when I say this, and, and it's probably because I have a passion for it, but I don't know about everybody, but a lot of the population around the world, mental health has touched them in some way, whether it's a family member. And we're talking about somebody that has gotten caught in a depression, and it could be ever so brief. Absolutely. Anxiety yes. of worrying about the unknown. It doesn't, and that's yes. part of the, the stigma is that you're thinking that it's, when you hear mental illness, that it's, that is paranoid schizophrenia or multiple personality. And people are just, you know, they push it away and say, you know, not me. Right. That is, I don't want to be associated with it. But truly, when you break it down to the human condition, our brains are very fragile. And we we go through stuff, everybody. Absolutely. I always like to say it's the organ above the shoulders. Yeah. We treat other conditions that affect other organs in the body. So mental illness are dis- their disorders that affect our brain. Um, one in 17 is a good statistic for individuals who are living with an, a mental illness that maybe has taken a more severe course. And one in five are the millions of Americans and thousands in our region who themselves have had a mental health challenge at some point. Uh, so one in five in any given year have dealt with a mental health challenge. And so it's good to understand that it much more looks like you and me, our colleagues, than it looks like my uncle. Sure. And it's helpful for people to understand that people around them, if not themselves, are managing a chronic medical condition and living good lives, working, being productive. A lot of our presenters for In Our Own Voice uh, and In The Silence are themselves working full-time or in school full-time. So there is really that message of hope for individuals who either have a loved one who's dealing with one or maybe themselves. We want them to understand they're not alone and recovery is possible. Um, We're here to offer hope and help, and we want people to know about us. So thank you very much for this opportunity Mm -hmm. because we want people to find us and connect with us and engage with us. Yeah. And just like recovery, another part of this show is uh, substance use and addiction. So when people speak for you all, do they stress that this is chronic and it is, you know, recovery is forever is a long time. I mean, you rarely does this go away. Like somebody can't say, I used to be an alcoholic. Now I'm cured. I mean, it's forever. So we have to manage our lives Absolutely. Forever, whether that's medication, you know, coping, education. Certainly. You've hit it on the head. That's right. And so I think when individuals that participate and are hearing our our program leaders, they understand this is an ongoing, as you said, a chronic medical condition that they're managing. And just like other kinds of disorders can flare up, even with the best care, following everything that an individual is is to do, they can flare up due to nothing that has been done, no behavior. It it happens, right? Because this is, as you said, it's the brain. And just like diabetes can flare up, sometimes um, high blood pressure is no longer being controlled by medication and even lifestyle. The same is true with bipolar disorder, major depressive disorder, you know, OCD, PTSD. Things can happen where it flares. So that's 
important for individuals who are hearing this to understand that even in the midst of that, recovery is still ongoing. Not linear or sequential, mm-hmm. for sure. It's not like our a, a broken bone where every day it's probably getting a little better and healing. You're right. There's no cure for mental health conditions, but they absolutely, with the right treatment, the right support, they absolutely can be managed and people can live very good, fulfilling and successful lives. Absolutely. Definitely. You can have diet, you can have other holistic thing. I mean, things and whatever works for I agree. For you, you know. I agree. But like you said, it it flares. But with the right, with you know, I'm just repeating what you say. But it is absolutely possible. It's worth repeating. Yeah, to have a beautiful, healthy life. Exactly. Now, having a lot of people that are living those lives are able to break through this stigma and let that weight that probably plagued them at some point roll off their shoulders with coping skills. But where do you see stigma really affect people? Well, we know for certain that there's self-stigma. So the disorders bring with them their own set of symptoms. But for an individual dealing with one, there can be this ongoing thought process that they are at fault, that they're not a good person, and they don't know what they would need to do, but if they did something you know, they might not be dealing with this. So there's self-stigma, and that does keep people from seeking help. And there's stigma. It, I think it's being reduced, but let's face it, there is stigma around mental health conditions. It can be an unknown condition for some people, and they may be associated only with with major tragedies that unfortunately have occurred. So stigma, we know, keeps people from seeking help. It keeps families isolated. We call it the non-casserole disorder. So if someone on your street, their, their adolescent develops leukemia, neighbors rally. If they're part of a church community, the church community rallies. But if your brother or your son had a psychotic break while they're in college, the family might not tell anyone because they're uncertain of how that will be received and how people will think about them. So this is stigma that keeps people isolated. So that's why we really like being out in the community as well as the help we provide individually to families and those dealing with it. I want to talk about trauma. For example, I had, uh, I fractured my skull when I was 18 months old. And I'm a true believer that that sparked a, you know, fracture is a good word, in my brain that mm-hmm. that very early on changed the course of my development. Now, mm-hmm. that leads to, you said, the self-stigma, which turns into self-esteem issues. And uh, it, it kind of just, even though you're going chronologically up through age, it snowballs down right. on you. Well, we know trauma does play a part in mental health disorders. I'm not an expert on it, but absolutely we know that when children go through trauma, they're more vulnerable to develop a mental health condition. So I don't know that we've been able to directly establish cause and effect. Um, And again, I may be speaking out of ignorance here, but absolutely we do know that trauma is a piece of it for certain people. 
And we hear that in some of our program leaders when they tell their story uh, about maybe different things that happened. So it is very true that trauma can be a part of it. Not always. Right. It can be something that a person is, is genetically predisposed mm-hmm. to it, maybe. so, And then something happens in their life that for them is devastating. And that can, that can bring depression. Uh, and so research is, is being done on the brain, but there's still so much we don't know. And when we think about it, the brain is the most complex organ that we have, and it controls everything. So it's not surprising that ongoing research is providing more and more understanding uh, and yet not necessarily being able to deliver us targeted treatments for for these very complex disorders. As far as adolescence and, and talking about kids, like mm-hmm. you, you have people speaking in middle schools and high schools, right. what kind of impact do you think that has? And do you feel that they listen as opposed to run away from it? I mean, do you think it's helping them go to their guidance counselor and, and talk about it and ask for help? Yes, we see this. So Ending the Silence has two program leaders. Both have a story about mental health challenges while in school. Our young adult, they are all are individuals who dealt with mental health conditions during school. And the, the lead presenter who is giving a lot of information also either has a child who has dealt with in school or they themselves dealt with in school. So what we see is that students self-identify, they come up afterwards, they connect with that young adult, they hear their story, they hear the recovery but they also understand what they dealt with when they were in school themselves. So we do know that it's been studied empirically that ending the silence increases help-seeking. That's what we want. We want kids to recognize it, whether it's in themselves or a friend, and we want them then to know what to do, and we want them to take action. So... We know that it accomplishes this, and we see it in the presentations that we're, that we're having. Uh, we've presented in the last school year to over 1,500 students, and we ask every student to, to complete an evaluation form so we can understand how they are, how they are receiving it. And one of the comments that we got was, I'm going to go talk to someone. I've been really contemplating suicide. But now I know that there is, there is help. So we do know, not only through this national study, but we know empirically ourselves with what we're doing. We see the interaction that is happening. Yeah. Just that little cross-section of 1,500 kids. It's the old story. If you help one, it's a, it's a success. But being scared, wondering if you are... If you have something like that right. and battling it yourself, because I was in therapy, I've been in therapy ever since I was a kid, but I didn't know how to convey what was going on. I didn't know. Right. What, no words con- for it. Yeah. I didn't know how to convey what was going on in my head. And if I had that 
education piece to say, okay, not only do I need to go see somebody, but I feel like I can explain, do, that, right? yeah, yeah. And do it confidently right. and also explain what I'm feeling. Yeah, absolutely. You're right. And I think in ending the silence in the, in the middle schools and high schools, as well as in our own voice, which is, again, two people living in recovery, managing their mental health condition, because they, they do give specifics of their story, that allows the people who are hearing them, students, adults, to identify and make a connection. This isn't the 30,000-foot view. When people are telling their stories, they are talking about what happened. They're talking about when they were upstairs ready to complete the plan they'd made for suicide when they decide to go downstairs and tell their parents. They tell how they felt walking down the steps. They talked about the fear they had of what their parents would say and how they would react. So these kind of, this specificity of individual stories, that does give opportunity for connection and for seeing that in themselves or perhaps seeing it in, in a friend or a colleague. Yeah, and not giving them that chance to stop whatever plan they have. You know, think about all the right. ramifications and do I really want to do this? And, and, and without, when you're on an island and you have no, got it right. you have no support, it's, you got no coping skills and you feel like that's the answer. And uh, right. it's just, it's such a, and that's another stigmatized buzzword of the day is suicide. Right. But, and you've, you've been at this organization for 10 years, is right. that right? right. Where do you see in that span social media affecting kids? Well, I absolutely believe that kids are growing up now in a different world, maybe than even you or I grew up in. And they are being constantly bombarded with digital information. Whether right now, just instant. Exactly, 24 7. And at the same time, it's isolating. You know, kids often text instead of talking, <laughs> right? Or they stay so engrossed and spend so much time in their social media, right, that they're not making those personal connections and personal relationships. I think there's a lot of stress on kids, a lot of stress to succeed, a lot of stress of just knowing instantly what's happening in the world. That wasn't true all that long ago, where you instantly knew when some tragedy occurred or a trauma occurred, and now everyone knows within minutes. And I think that can overwhelm all of us, actually, um, this, this hyper-connectivity hyper that we have now. And for for kids to know how to cope, how to connect, I do think that it is more difficult. I do think it is more difficult for them. And that's why we want, all of us want to be support and we want to give education and we want to show them ways they can get help, right? And that there is hope and there are people who care. Because it doesn't take much to break somebody down. 
and right. social media, you know, you can, you know, right. I have an 11 year old daughter that's going into sixth grade and it petrifies me. But you talk to somebody that says, I'm not doing anything. Do you want to do something? No, I don't really feel like doing something. And then an hour later, they, you see a picture of them at the mall or something with friends and you weren't invited blatantly right. weren't invited right it's something as simple as that as that that can send somebody down a rabbit hole mm-hmm. of negativity and self you know self-consciousness certainly um, yes so it it's just even though it's so uh, prevalent it doesn't take much to to really set it off you're right you're right and it can be devastating and it can be again damaging to to the individual's understanding of themselves yeah. As you said, as you, the example you gave, I'm not included. What's wrong with me? Yeah. Look at them. They must be perfect. Yeah. They have, they have great lives. What do I have? Yeah. So you're right. And you think when you're going through something like this, you think you're the only one out of anybody in the world that's going through this. And it's so hard to, it's so hard to, because you're not going to tell, especially a boy. Right. You know, I, I felt I had these feelings when I was in adolescence and I couldn't talk to anybody. You know, I couldn't say to my buddy, hey, man, I'm down in the dumps, right. you know, and they're I like, know. what What do you have to, what could you possibly be down in the dumps for? Give me a break. And that's such a discouraging thing. But I do think it's probably, it has to be better. You know, that was 20, 25 years ago. Well, I mean, we do see that that younger individuals are more open about talking about it and addressing it. We actually have young adults who are, who are coming to us because they want to tell their story. They want to let other young adults, children, know that they're not alone because it is, as you said, so isolating. And individuals families feel very alone students feel very alone and you're you're right they they do have the misunderstanding that they are the only ones so that's a big thing about nami because nami southwest ohio because we are sharing our stories and we're connecting and people tell us right this was this was a lifesaver I have support now. I have connections. I understand that there are other individuals dealing with this and other families dealing with this. And so that is actually NAMI's tag is find hope, find help. You're not alone because we understand that being by yourself and really removing yourself from being involved with anyone else and it happens to the individuals. It happens to families as well. So you've hit it on the head um, that people do feel alone, and that's that's one of our main missions to help people understand they're not alone. Right. In your work with schools, is there any talk or any movement to getting this into the curriculum? Yes, actually. Um, I don't think it's come out of committee yet, but there there is a, a proposed legislation to require mental health education to be part of school curriculum. So we do see this. We do see this move, and 
I do think the climate right now, I think mental health is more recognized as a public mental health problem and something that needs to have funding behind it so that everything we've been saying can happen because it, you know, NAMI offers everything at no cost to all participants. We don't want one more decision that has to be made. And yet everything that people are doing in this space, it does cost money, right? And so funding that can come from government is very important and things that can direct schools to include mental health education. We believe those are vitally important. And think about the potential benefit of, of even somebody, you know, elementary school might be over their head a little bit, but middle school, high school, even college, even if it was an elective, if you had one class every day, five days a week that taught you the world of mental health, I mean, the impact could be just huge. So I think right. that that, and substance use, I'm, I'm partial to that because I've been through it, getting these things into the curriculum somehow to make sure that people understand that this is real stuff and we're going to have to deal with it because life, life isn't going to be kind. No. And mental, mental illness doesn't discriminate. Exactly. Age, socioeconomic level, ethnicity, education, it doesn't discriminate. That's what I say with, with uh, addiction and you don't have to grow up in the gutter for this to be oh, you're right because i grew up in a very middle class town in northern kentucky and where everything is perfect and mm -hmm. rainbows and uh, <laughs> lollipops and all that stuff and right. it roared through my family just like anybody else so you don't have to be in a negative environment for this to be sparked it is a brain behavioral whether you call it a disease or, or not this well, we know there is neurobiological basis for these sure so probably since the 21st century began you know research has been um able to be done on living brains um where in the past you know research was the brains weren't weren't in a living person right so things like Having a functional MRI of an individual who's living with major depressive disorder, an individual who is not, and seeing that things in one are lit up and they're dark in the other, or dark in the other and lit up in this. So I think understanding there is a neurobiological basis, there are other factors, absolutely, that, that come into it. But I think it, re it does relieve a lot of, of stigma, both for families and for the individuals. So I think that's uh, something that is a piece of people understanding why it's not anyone's fault. Yeah, right. There's no and, one to blame. And you can't you can't argue with science. Right. I mean, science is science. Right. I remember going through my rehab for a, a substance use, and they would show. And cocaine was my drug of choice, but they showed they would show a brain that was perfectly healthy, mm -hmm. color all around it, yeah. and greens and yellows and reds. Yeah. And then somebody that had uh, a chronic, mm -hmm. you know, they would do it by levels, and then it, the color would diminish. I know. And You're right. you were thinking, man, I am my brain is it's never going to recover. But then on the next page of the you know the uh -huh. the class is it can all come back. My uh, 
psychiatrist always says that the brain is very elastic. Right. It can bounce back, and you know, to to hear that right. is pretty. It, it makes you feel good. Oh, for that, sure. That there's hope. Yeah, and we understand that research does show that medicine and therapy together do provide the potential for the best outcomes. So, understanding that it is the brain, the brain is affected, it is impaired by these disorders. And yet, as you said, you know, recovery is possible and training our minds to, th to think differently is possible. And like we've both said, recovery is not linear or sequential, and yet it's so very possible and it happens. People do recover. Yeah. And just getting coping skills, I'm not a scientist or an expert, but but just getting those coping skills, getting a little bit of hope can fire that color up yeah. in, in the brain yeah. and from being in a bad spot. But yeah, it's the whole thing is truly amazing to me. Back to adolescence and high school bullying. Uh, it goes without saying that it, it affects kids, but it seems like it's still a big issue. Right. And... Again, there are probably other people that can speak to what's actually happening um, um, more than I, but we do address bullying in our Ending the Silence program because we know it affects people, and we know sometimes it's the bully themselves, right, that are dealing with something, and this is the way they are, that this is how they're, they're this is how they cope. Yeah. And so we do know that Bullying has devastating effects on children yeah. and adolescents. Yeah. My daughter was bullied. She was in second grade or third grade by someone once a week at least, you know, and she would come home and she was so sweet about it. But we would direct immediately as we have to pray for her. Mm -hmm. You know, there, there could be, right. we don't know what she is going through. Right. And I think people are so quick and even myself to say that booger, you know, yeah. you know, that that person needs to be expelled, be you know right. to totally dealt with uh, fiercely, because you know when somebody's bullying your kid, it's you know you go you oh, go yes. off the off the rails oh, with yes. anger. But I think that those people are filled with a lot of mm -hmm. mental anguish, mm -hmm. right? And it 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 is true that it needs to be addressed. Um, and it's wonderful that you had a compassionate um, spirit and attitude for those individuals because they do harm. Um, and but I'm I know about it. <laughs> I know about this stuff. I've been through it. So it, it's mm -hmm. just like you said. It's finding your voice and getting the people that don't have exposure to it to be able to switch their mindset. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. on what this is what this is really right. about right yeah and, and until you go through it you know a lot of people who haven't gone through it and then they go through it they say i i don't know i didn't know i yes, totally exactly. I, I totally wrote this thing off and now i have a family member that went through it and right now i get it right you know and that can be the same for families that are that have a loved one dealing with substance use disorder and maybe co-occurring mental health condition um, and they didn't, they didn't understand, but with education and hearing from other individuals, as you said, then they, they 
do come to an understanding and a different perspective about it. So you're right, across the board, this is true. How often do you have your two individuals that... In our voice? Yeah. How often are they speaking? We have invitations... And, you know, we're probably out on average one or once or twice a week. So it's a very dynamic and growing um, program that we're doing in the community. And we would love to be invited in to any group um, because we see the positive outcomes that come from people understanding more, people being able to ask the the questions that maybe they can't ask their loved ones themselves or a friend. So this is something that uh, we continue to get invitations and anyone who's listening to this, we would love to have you connect with us um, and uh, invite us in. I saw on your email signature, NAMI Walks. Tell us about that. Well, NAMI Walks is the largest mental health event in Southwest Ohio. It always is the second Saturday in May at Sawyer Point, and it is not only uh, a large fundraiser for us, it, it really is half of our revenue, but it's also awareness raising. This is a peer-to-peer model where you use email to connect with your colleagues, your friends, your family, wherever they may live. And your email will have something about mental health, such as, did you know that mental health conditions affect more people than cardiovascular disease, more people than all cancers combined? And then there's a link to support you. So it's a win-win. So an individual who reads that, they've just learned something now about mental health. They've heard about NAMI. And there's a good chance they will support you because they know you, they trust you. If this is a cause you believe in, and this is an organization that you have confidence in, they, they will support you. So NAMI Walks is huge on both those levels. And um, it is an event where you there's not a registration fee. So you can come and, and walk with us. We love for people to get involved in the raising awareness and raising funds. As I said, we offer everything at no cost to participants. So this is uh, a very important, important region event for us. So it's your biggest fundraiser. If you're not charging a fee, which I think is great, is it just private donation that... Right. So it's people that click on your link, people that click on my link, people that see it and donate to the event. But much more is because individuals are asking People don't give because they're not asked. Sure. And this is such a worthy cause, and I think people recognize it. So we had our largest walk in May, and I do think that the heightened awareness of mental health was a piece of that, um, and people understanding even the unique unique niche that, that NAMI Southwest Ohio plays in our community. Um, so that's one event. And the other event we have every year is called Evening of Hope. Uh, this year... We are, it's held at the Cintas Center, and this year it is on October 16th, and we are very excited because we're bringing in a national individual, Dr. Javier Amador. He wrote the best-selling book, I Am Not Sick, I Don't Need Help, because this is probably maybe the biggest challenge with, with, with mental health conditions is this symptom called anosognosia, where an individual, the part of the brain that 
gives awareness is impaired by the disorder. So my uncle does have this symptom. He has never, ever thought he is dealing with schizophrenia. And now I've learned this isn't denial. This isn't him being stubborn, not being willful. His brain is impaired. So if you came to me with a with high blood pressure medicine and said, Heather, you need to take this, I would look at you and say, I do not need to take this. I don't have high blood pressure. And it would probably be dangerous for me to take that. So, so addressing this way of helping people who don't think they're sick, this is what Dr. Amador has provided in, uh, he's developed a therapy. He's a PhD therapist. His academic research is in anisognosia, lack of insight. And he has developed a, a therapy, a way for families to come alongside their loved one versus being uh, antagonistic or directly at confronting their loved one. So he's coming this year to speak. We're very excited about it. It is open to the community. Um, you can find it on our website. Which we will put we'll put links and yeah, that's to, great. To, to all so, that stuff right. on the episode right. notes. Yeah. yeah. So th- that ep- that event, the walk, what an opportunity for for even an individual to 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 open that link and say, you know what, I'm going to go down there. Absolutely. What an opportunity for families right. to bond right. and, and go down there and kind of get even if you have young children to get them exposed to this and all the hope that goes with it. You're right. And that's, then that's and it. companies. Right, you know, we, organizations to right. get awareness out and get their employees and associates ingrained in this stuff to right. and start outreach of their own and, right. and community involvement. Yeah. So those are, that's great. Yeah, and everything else that you do and uh, Nami as a as a whole and and locally, um, thank you for everything that you do. And We're all in it together. That's right, and I really appreciate you coming down and spending some time. Thanks, Trevor. Thanks for listening. I want to thank everyone that makes this show possible. Production by Gwen Sound, artwork by Neltner Smallbatch, and photography by John Willis and Lindsay Steinhauser. Please subscribe, rate, and write a review. Visit our website for more information at stigmatizedpodcast.com.